Hey guys, welcome to Content Candy's newest show, Why Are We Like This, with myself and Adam Collins. Please check us out wherever you can find podcasts, which I think is like Apple, Spotify, Anchor, what have you. And make sure to check out Patreon, patreon.com backslash video drew and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Why Are We Like This uh, with me, um, Video Drew, Drew Grant, and uh, my co-host, as always, Adam Collins. With you, as always, is Garth. I am here, and I am so excited. I'm really excited to talk about uh, tonight's topics, especially because we got our, our very first guest joining us this mm -hmm. week. We um, had to pull some strings. We had to pull some strings to get her, but mm -hmm. I hear you know a person. So yes. uh, welcome welcome to the show for the very first time, our very first guest, Marisol McKee. Hey, Marisol. Hey. Hi. Hey, guys. Hey. Thank you so much for coming on. Like, we really appreciate it. It's Saturday night. People are doing stuff. Not me. <laughs> um. Not me either. <laughs> nope. Um, no, it's it's. I don't. I don't need an excuse to come and talk with the two of you. I. This is this is this is a treat. This is an uh -huh. honor. I'm happy. To well, be here. I'm really excited to get to talking because this show is about why are we like this? Is about uh, our formative pop culture. Like, what made us the way we are today? The shows and movies and music and and IPs that sort of developed how we think about the world. Um, and you have a very interesting choice I want to get to in one second. Um, guys, we do have Streamlabs open tonight. So if you go to streamlabs.com backslash video drew, you can donate a few bucks and have your questions read live on air by like a little, like a robot voice thing. And if you notice I'm in a different like setting, this is my new podcast studio. So Ooh. Yeah, this is the money that Patreon built, the room that Patreon built. You need to hire someone to just do a fake podcast in the background. The yes, time. at all times, Lon Harris should just be in the background <laughs> pretending to talk to somebody. Moving his mouth, but not actually saying anything. Yeah, that's actually what's, that's pretty good. I like that. Next you level like, performance art there. Do you like the, the carpet I have? This is this is my Twin Peaks carpet. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's pretty good. I dig it. I dig it. Um, Marisol, tell me a little bit, like, what was your pop culture diet growing up mm -hmm. um uh pretty much anything that my father and mother impressed upon me i i didn't i absorbed few things or at least the terms when it comes to like movies and music mm -hmm. that was influenced heavily by my parents um and their taste so a lot of you know a lot of a lot of motown a lot of jazz a lot of folk um in terms of music and um and in terms of movies, like you know, a lot of a lot of sixties, seventies, oh, <laughs> um, and uh, the, the things that they loved when they were teenagers and and adults. So the, that was my foundation. Um, what were that, some of the movies that you found fell in love with really early on? Their parents just showed you, or that you remember being sort of like a, around a lot when you were growing up. Um, honestly, uh, <laughs> honestly, like The Godfather. Um, yeah. Good thing uh, to watch as a child, right? right. <laughs> a lot of stuff that probably shouldn't be for a child. Um, Mel Brooks and like mm -hmm. um, 
um, James Bond, um, uh, Marlon Brando movies, <laughs> uh, and a lot of Steven Spielberg movies. You know, like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of a lot of good stuff. Pretty much all thrown into thrown into a pot. Those are some early. That that was like my foundation. Do you remember the first movie theater, like movie you saw in the theaters? Uh, Jurassic Park. Whoa! Should not have been taken to see that. I was three. Oh my um, should god! Should not have been taken to see it. Um, um and it scared uh scared the diapers off me, but also was so impressionable. It really thrilled me at the same time. And I wasn't scared as in I had nightmares for the rest of my childhood. I was scared as in excited, mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't get enough of it. And I I would watch it a lot. Yeah, I, saw, I think I saw that movie 13 times in the theater when I growing up. I just was obsessed with it. I just, my first crush was Jeff Goldblum in that movie. Uh, <laughs> he was just, everything was about it. Do you remember yours, Adam? My first movie in the theaters? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it's, it's funny. Um, uh, the first movie I remember seeing in the theaters was uh, the animated Beauty and the Beast. Wow. And then, um, uh, the the movie I remember seeing after that a couple years later is Jurassic Park. Really? Yeah. That, yeah. I feel like that was the formative one for me as well. Yeah, uh, I, I love seeing Jurassic Park in the theaters and that opening scene alone is something that uh, was really vivid in my memory for a long time. But yeah, Beauty and the Beast uh, got in there first and that's yeah. not a bad one either. Um, I remember, I'm going to try to turn my volume down a little bit because I'm hearing a little bit of an echo. Um, I remember being uh, a child, like a very young child, and getting to see uh, The Princess Bride way too early. And this is like a famous story in my household that at whatever ah. age I was when I saw Princess Bride, I waited to the part to like, uh, Inigo Montoya stabs the six-fingered man, and I go, good, let's go home now. <laughs> that was like my <laughs> first piece of film criticism was like, I've had enough. <laughs> just left <laughs> but that movie's wonderful we just did a quiz on it i find that my taste towards stuff tends to not change like if i don't like something as a kid or like when i watched it at a formative age i tend to like continue not liking it even upon rewatch there's there's a few movies that uh that i feel differently about maybe like that godfather being a good example of one like maybe like the francis Ford coppola movies that i just found really boring as a kid and now i'm like those are intriguing to me on like a cinema level but for the most part my tastes have like much like uh, you, you Marisol, like my, my tastes were very much informed by like what my father liked and like our, our formative experiences, like drinking Slurpees and watching Mystery Science Theater and just all the stuff I used to do with my parents so much informed like the sense of humor that I have uh, today. And they were really dark people. They had like really dark senses of humor uh, and like thought like really edgy shit was funny. Um, so that's kind of how I am the way I am. Um, but I was really surprised by your pick of what you wanted to talk about this week. And I love here. I love to see it, folks. But tell me a little bit about what you uh, want to talk about about why you are like this. Um. Well, this is inspired, almost completely inspired about something I don't think I've really thought about for a long time. Only off and on. Um, uh, this was completely inspired by me watching the Marielle Heller movie this week. Um, I watched. Uh, I just. I just chose to. You know stumble upon it. I just picked it up. Um, um, but I just watched, um, um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Um, uh, oh. the, the movie about, um, pretty much essentially about Mr. Rogers. It's not, it's not a biopic, um, on Mr. Rogers, but it's about, it's about a very specific stretch. Um, he's not even really the main character, but it's about a very specific stretch of when, um, uh, 
um, a writer, a real life writer for a magazine was doing um, an article about him. Um, and it made me think about Mr. Rogers. And and there's a lot of themes in that movie that came up that made me think that, um, that made me go like, oh my God, yeah, Mr. Rogers. Um, which just seemed to kind of hit me like a train how much I watched him as a kid um, and how much, like, I was like, God, if there's anything you could talk about, that guy was creating a show to form to form how we would grow up, how we would grow up into people as adults. Yes. Um, that was a whole point of his show to make it a little easier and to help um and to help uh to do his best do his role and do his best to make sure that um in what he thought that people would grow up you know a right way trying to make the world a little bit better um one person at a time so it just seemed like a natural pick to talk about um he is was a great man i forget if he was how he was involved with the military if he was involved with army or navy uh you probably know better at that point or maybe it was i'm just imagining in this but i do remember one of the best things about Mr. Rogers. I have not seen the movie. I saw the biodoc is, is, but then I knew about this beforehand was his like Senate congressional testimony where he just like tore into uh, the, the Congress people asking the questions. I, for, I forget what he was testifying about exactly. I just know that he was a big proponent of uh, like, you know, civil rights, civil liberties, and just trying to make like children. Yeah. Like make children better. Uh, this episode in particular that I just pulled up on screen this was like his way of being like, it's okay to be, have to share water with like a black person because like, you know, in a lot of parts of the country that's was still not okay, even though they ingratiated schools. Like it is, uh, it was, he seemed like he was like one of those genuinely good men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really wish I had, um, I can't wait. You said you saw the documentary. I can't wait to see that. This was kind of like, that's why, that's why I wanted to talk about it. Cause it kind of just snuck up on me. I, I had seen about the documentary and I was like, Oh, I got to get around to watching that. Um, and like, I, I would, the movie, the movie's good. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, the really Tom loved. Hanks one, right? The yeah. Tom. Yeah. Where Tom Hanks plays, uh, Fred Rogers. Um, um, yeah. And that's like I, a match. That's a match. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I was going to say that's a match that seems like very well placed because I also think Tom Hanks seems like the kind of guy that we should all try to be more like. Yeah, it was a, a natural, natural fit, uh, natural fit for him, and he just, he just plays it beautifully. He, he captures, you know, you know, the cadence, the, the. He just exudes the, the paternal, the paternal warmth. Um, and just, just the, the kind of just the effervescence of, uh, of Rogers that he kind of carried not only on the show, but like apparently in real life. Um, so yeah. Um, um I, I think some, how my screen is frozen. So let me hop back out and hop back in because I see now that I'm not moving around, even though I think you guys can hear me. So I'll be right back. Uh, yeah, we can hear you fine. Mm-hmm. So why'd you pick such a controversial figure for your initial? I know he's episode? crazy. Mr. Rogers is fucking yeah. nuts. But, uh, but you know, he's he's out there. But Now, as far know. as I'm aware, the military service is falsified. That's an urban legend. Uh, he never served in any branch of the military that I was aware of. Um, uh, chat can correct me if I was wrong. But um, I understand the appeal of that particular uh, 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 fiction. Um, mm -hmm. But... I, I, the thing I love about uh, Fred Rogers, especially, is I feel like a lot of us grew up with him and Bob Ross, uh, both on PBS, and mm -hmm. we kind of took them for granted for years. And, you know, everyone was watching them. And then after they went away, 
I feel like people started reassessing and, and then, you know, with the reassessment came this fervent interest in getting this stuff back on the air for reruns and syndication. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where the second life came for Fred Rogers, especially. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure video drew has something to say about this as well. Was it, was it about the puppets? I missed the whole thing, but no, <laughs> no, no, no. what I was saying is as far as I'm aware, the military stuff mm -hmm. is all falsified urban legends, but Oh, um, okay. Yeah. But uh, uh, at the same time, um, I was talking about how he got kind of a second life like Bob Ross did long after his show had wrapped, uh, after he had passed away even. Um, and I feel like, you know, uh, the reason he endures is because of this syndication and this, this you know, revisiting of his stuff. Did you watch, it's funny you bring up Bob Ross, because did you guys watch that Netflix documentary about Bob Ross that's out right now? Will be oh. soon. I'm, I'm... I've, I've heard a lot of the buzz around it. It's pretty nuts. I mean, I pretty much, it's not like a mystery mystery, but I'm still not going to give away like what the thing is, but like, he pretty, it's not like a twist, but like the, the thing about Barbaros is he was just a good person. He was a mm -hmm. very good person and the stuff around his estate got really messed up. But like, he also just seemed like a person that maybe, you know, it's rare in life to find people who are exactly who they say they are, especially if those people are like children's host. I feel like I necessarily, you know, inevitably have some sort of eye, like, you know, cynical eye towards people who want to just become like famous for children. Barney, don't trust him any. Blues, <laughs> the guest Steve from Blues Clues. You know, we all thought he died of heroin overdose. Turns out that was fake. But like, we all thought that. Like, I don't know. Like, you remember uh, when everyone thought Marilyn Manson was the kid from the Wonder Years? That was a thing. For a that was a thing. Yeah. yeah. I just, yeah. yeah, I just think that, uh, Mr. Rogers and Bob Rock specifically are like this paradigm of, or paragon, sorry, a paragon of like, like whatever the opposite of white male rage is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like they're just like the, the, the good the white the benevolence. Allies. Yeah. The white, white benevolence, the white allies, whatever you want to call them. They're like the, the, the paternal figures that we still have that are not toxic, who's like They're, they're not white male exceptionalism. They're the white male exceptions. Yes. Wow. Well put, Adam. Because we need, we actually do need more white male exceptions uh, yes. and I, <laughs> to stop being exceptions. Um, did you watch a lot of uh, Mr. Rogers growing up, Adam? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the thing I loved about Mr. Rogers is like it was cool to kind of rail against it in the 90s if like mm -hmm. your parents were throwing you in front of PBS and you're like, ugh. Mm -hmm. And then the thing is, though, like, I mean, I didn't have a problem with Mr. Rogers. It's just it was very calm, you mm -hmm. know, to a kid who was into Ninja Turtles and you know, Power Rangers and Beetlejuice, it wasn't as exciting. <laughs> but at the same time, like, uh, you know, you grow to appreciate that stuff and go back to it. Um, one of my favorite gags, um, mm -hmm. it's a throwaway moment in the movie Casper where he's channel surfing and he gets yes. to Mr. Rogers. And Rod Mr. Rogers is like, imagine being happy to be yourself. That's really something to celebrate. And, and Casper literally rolls his eyes and changes the channel. <laughs> And that's just like jaded, you know, mid nineties, uh, teen angst, in my opinion, Marisol, mm -hmm. would you agree? Oh, for sure. You know, like I, I hear what you're saying about, um, like, you know, I guess like the pushback to it. Um, it's interesting. I, I could see that. Um, not that I was that in tune as a child to pop culture in the nineties, like assessing it, like evaluating it like that mm -hmm. the way we do nowadays. But even I can draw the parallels in the world that I see now. Um, like I have a very, very small niece and nephew. Um, mm -hmm. and 
they absorb a lot of content and things to entertain them that is created in this very, in, you know, 2020, 2021, you know, sense of what entertains a small child. And, and it's, it's similar to like what you were saying, what entertained us, what we were steering towards in the eighties and the nineties is a lot of action. You got to entertain a kid. So what you Mm -hmm. need is like a lot of action, you know, a lot of, a lot of frenetic activity, a lot of color, um, um, because their attention spans are so short that you can't hold their attention. And, and so in particular, like a couple weeks ago, um, um, they sat down, um, their dad, my brother-in-law, they sat down and they put on, he put on Mr. Rogers for them, um, amidst all, like, I think it had been the first time they had ever seen it, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, and he put it on for them. And these kids like usually can't calm down for shit. And he put it on for them and they were just transfixed that they watched, they watched four episodes straight and they were just like, like, you know, they kind of were kids like kind of their mouth hangs open a little bit because they're just like, like they just, they just, they they don't even understand. Like they're just so transfixed that they kind of lose control of their bodies. Um, They were just sitting there still as mice just watching it. Um, Yeah. He has like a a, a sort of, I think it's the same as Bob Ross. It's sort of like not stupor that like implies a negative connotation, but like a sort of Mm -hmm. trance comes over you Mm -hmm. while you're watching it. Like you're just like, oh, I could just live in this world. It's a very, I think good, probably pandemic watch. Cause it's just very much like just exist, be the water, like be the rock in the water, just be still. And uh, for my part, I wasn't the hugest Mrs. Rogers fan, but I did love the puppets, probably surprising nobody. <laughs> like I thought it was so creepy that once in a while, like, and I loved it so much that like once in a while we would just like leave this very normal, very like soft spoken world and just travel to like another world where everything was like on marionettes. And even though the marionettes themselves weren't scary, uh, it was terrifying in like a certain off-putting way to go to a land that was just all like, just everyone's walking around like this and like, you know, and you're just like, is it him doing it? As a child, I was like, I guess very into voice acting already. And I was like, is he doing all the voices? Or is there like somebody else who comes in? And like, where does that person go when they get back to the, the Mr. Rogers world? And like, is Mr. Rogers aware? Like he seems aware of them to see where that they're sentient, like when he, he's not around or is this like a, you know, Muppet Babies kind of, sesh. I don't know. I guess I just like a lot of questions about the world building of, of his universe. Adam, so, any thoughts? <laughs> I, I, I love uh, the, the world he created. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, as a kid, there was, some of us found the puppets a little creepy. Mm. You know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but like, you know, my friends and I discussed it and, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, there's something a little unsettling about it in a way, mm-hmm. but um, one, when you go back and watch it, there's a real innocence to it. And the thing I think that uh, um, they've done well to honor his legacy is um, even though PBS is like making money hand over fist over the IP, uh, Daniel Tiger's neighborhood is the continuation of Mr. Mm-hmm. Rogers. Mm-hmm. And uh, my daughter, has enjoyed plenty of Daniel Tiger and it's the same exact messaging as Mr. Rogers through an animated show with, you know, happy little animal characters and whatnot. But Mr. Rogers neighborhood and the trolley and all of that is still a part of it. I love that. I love that. And that's really nice. Um, And yeah, they're making tons of money, but it's also promoting the same values as the show and it's progressive and very inclusive. Did you just say, sorry, let me back up. You said it's still PBS. PBS is making money hand over fist. Cause like the news to me. 
So yeah, Daniel Tiger has a whole line of toys and stuff like that. Yeah. And yet they still call me up for money every year, telling me yeah, that I got a pledge. Yeah, I don't know exactly how that all breaks down monetarily. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't know how much they can write off for taxes for something like Daniel Tiger, which is just a multi-million dollar business. But you know. Yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's uh, really cool. I after watching that Bob Ross documentary, especially. And again, I think, yeah, it goes into like, just like he was a good person. Maybe he's the one I'm thinking with the military background, or maybe it's, I'm conflating the idea of him having a military background and then Mr. Rogers testifying before the Senate committee about, was it like about McCarthyism or am I totally like crazy here? Where he like- It was just, about, it was about funding for PBS to like, you know- It makes you know, sense, dollar dollar bills. Children. And you know, like he was, you go back and watch that, that, that video. It's, uh, it definitely gets me choked up. Uh, I've seen it like twice. Because mm -hmm. it's so impassioned and so articulate. You know, I don't think he, <laughs> if he says, um, I can't remember. He's mm -hmm. just so focused and, and, and eloquent. And it's, it's a really lovely thing. And you can, you can tell he's speaking from a point of passion. Yeah. I, I mean, I just kind of remember the, the heat that he brought to it. Because you're used to seeing Mr. Rogers being like a very calm, very collected, like mm -hmm. happy individual. And in the Senate thing, he's just like, He's basically doing like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Like he's just he's he's like putting like t taking them to task. He's like putting them on blast. Like it's, it's just all like Mr. Rogers calling out this congressional committee, and it's awesome. That's all I remember saying. Thinking this is awesome. Wish this guy had run for like senator or something. <sighs> yeah, seriously. I mean, I think all the thing he always stressed, and what the most important thing is, what we were talking about is like, you know, like we were kind of talking about it, but like, is this a person like without flaws or is this a flawless person? I think at the same time, I think um, Mr. Rogers never, I don't think he ever, I think that was the whole point of his show that he would, I don't think like he would think of himself that way or claim to be that way. Um, what I remember the most is that everything he was emphasizing, he, it was empowering what you would watch in a lot, a lot of ways. Cause he would emphasize that everything was a choice. You know, it's not like mm. people are born good or born bad. Um, mm. he, a theme throughout his episodes would be that everything is a choice. And, um, you know, like how uh, how you deal like like with anger or frustration. Yeah. Um, everything. Um, and, and this is even what they highlighted in, in the, this is so fresh in my mind because I watched the movie, like what they highlighted in the movie that, um, you know, how you deal with um, you know, that forgiveness is a choice and something like that, you know, that, and it, it's not important that it's not important for us to tell each other that we have an absence of these feelings or to ignore them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's important to remind kids and adults, like this is so valuable for adults to know too, that like these, these emotions are inside of you and part of, part of, you know, um, empowering the audiences to let them know that you shouldn't like, it's not about being ashamed of them or trying to act like they don't exist. It's making, it's reminding yourself there's a choice and every step you have is a choice to choose on your, or choose to act on your anger or, or to not. Um, and when you frame everything like that and put it, put it in the, put it in that mindset, um, it's empowering as hell and it's, and it changes your outlook on everything. And, and it gives people the tools they have to, to be better people every day because every day is, is a, is, you know, a, a millions of little choices every day. I yeah. make the wrong choices 65% of every day I live. It's so funny. Yeah. I never think of any choice that I've ever made. Like it never occurs to me to think as of what I do as a choice. But then again, I remember as a child watching Mr. Rogers and being like, 
is this applicable to me? Like it was nothing that I was hearing at home. Like I lived in a very different kind of like, again, just like real alt, like, like not alt. Ooh, got a new thingy. Rusty Myers, subscribe. What does that say? Rusty something podcast. I missed that for a second, but thank you for subscribing. Um, I grew up in a household that was very much like promoting, like just whoever was the loudest won the argument and whoever, whoever, you know, was the most well-spoken about their side of things would, would be right and not about like equality meeting in the middle or compromise. So I remember as a kid watching Mr. Rogers and being like, he's like funny. He's on some crazy trip right there. Like whatever he thinks is going on in the world. Uh, Cause that's not how things operate over at like Casa Drews. But, uh, <laughs> but I do think I, I mean, I'm specifically with the stuff about anger, like end up being a choice. That's like ringing a bell. Cause I remember being like my anger, I had such rage issues as a child, like such intense rage issues. Uh, you would probably wouldn't even think that like looking at me today, like I look, I seem relatively happy-ish and I am, but I had like such, I guess it was just like intense frustration or ADHD or something. But like my rage just felt like all consuming. Like it was like some, you know, dark Phoenix thing where it was going to like eat me alive. And like, if I didn't like have a temper tantrum, like every day or so, uh, I guess now they would just call it like a behavioral problem or something. And I remember very distinctly watching a couple of Mr. Rogers episodes where he was talking about anger as a choice and like these feelings as choices. And I remember very <laughs> distinctly being like, what, like how, how is like, how, these feelings are so big. And he was like addressing it. He was like, you might feel these things. It's okay to feel them. And I think at a certain point I was just like, well, he clearly doesn't feel the same level that I feel. And as a kid, like, I, I think I just like kind of tuned out and was like, wait mm -hmm. for the puppets. Let's wait for the puppets to come back around. But uh, as an adult, I see like what that message is. And I hope it reaches more kids today who feel that overwhelming sense of like rage and powerlessness in the world. Well, you know, it doesn't always have to come back to Daniel Tiger, but I just have to point out <laughs> that the thing I, I appreciate is they honor that tradition of acknowledging, owning, and being constructive with your anger. Mm -hmm. um, because I've I've watched my I've watched this cartoon with my daughter, and having grown up with Mister Rogers, the parallels are abundantly obvious. But the thing that's funny about it is because it's animated, they have the little angry South Park eyebrows that go slanted when they're mad. <laughs> and it's just, it's so funny. Um, but like, but like Daniel is like, I'm really, really unhappy, mm -hmm. you know? And like, so he talks to like his dad about it and sad, like, it's okay to be angry, you mm -hmm. know, like let's, let's work through it. So, um, you know, when I grew up, you know, Mr. Rogers was just so matter of fact about it. And, and, mm -hmm. and he presented the information so earnestly that it, it just diffused things so naturally. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I think we all wish our parents could have could have adopted that uh, that bedside manner uh, mm -hmm. like Mr. Rogers a little bit more often. Mm -hmm. I think I think like, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I wish there had been something that was like and I have great parents. My parents are dope and cool and awesome. But like, I wish there had been some presence in my life outside of like this one person on TV who I didn't listen to all that much. God, he's so young there. My God. Uh, that was the sort of a soothing voice of like, the world isn't ending. Like I, I live very much like in a household that sounded like an alarm clock going off at all times. It's like, ah, 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 like constant, like everyone's just like, ah, where are you? Ah, like, and just freaking out. Uh, and then having fun and like being like a big, like a big small family of like four people with very loud voices. Mm -hmm. But I, I think like some stuff got lost in there. And I do kind of like wish that I had, 
more of a connection to the work of like Bob Ross and, and Mr. Rogers from my childhood. Cause maybe I would have like been able to tone it down a notch, just relax, kick back. Cause I can do it now. I can, I can smoke a joint and like chill out for a little bit and be okay. Um, and I know what to do a little bit more about uh, like acknowledging that I've made a mistake with my feelings. Cause still like, you know, anger is a natural part of life, especially part of like life right now. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard to like exist in this week and not get so furious and rightfully so like to get so furious that like, you're like, I want to like hurt something like the way it's like hurting the -hmm. world right now. And just, and just feel like there's gotta be something you've got to do about that anger. It needs to be taken out somewhere or else you're going to like explode. So you take it out on Twitter or you take it out on, you know, your partner or you take it out on your parents or kids or whatever. And I think, I think there's something you said towards acknowledging, Hey, I'm really angry, but I'm not angry at, you i'm angry at the situation i'm angry at at the at the hopelessness i feel i'm angry at like this and sort of acknowledging that and acknowledging when you when you've acted in a way that i think at the time you you always know is like the wrong thing to do like i'm like you said marisol like knowing that you made a mistake i think i always know in the moment when i'm like going too far and getting too like upset and like that and like purposely like not letting myself be soothed because i don't want to be comforted in that moment i just want to feel upset like i want to be mm-hmm. i want to like keep that upset and acknowledging that i'm upset is like uh would be giving it up in some way not to get too psychologically deep i on know you what guys. you mean i know what you mean you want to you want to work through the moment and i think i think fred rogers uh understood that in a really beautiful way and i also think you kind of indirectly got got to a fundamental truth which mm-hmm. is that uh, Mr. Rogers was the childhood equivalent of smoking a joint. Yeah, yeah, basically, this is he's like, chill, like smoke a joint, chill out, like take a beat, go sit and hang out with your puppets, and that's cool, like all man. you do. It's cool. It's cool. Go, go, take a little swim with your mailman and chill out. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that to most children, but yeah. Yeah, no, not not that specific part. Uh, but I did think like that was I thought that was like really cool part of the documentary. It was like like they made such a thing about like this was a time when you know people still even though like you know in the seventies whatever like the you know schools have been integrated all this you know the civil rights uh, stuff had passed but like he was like one of the few people acknowledging that that didn't make it like all better like he was mm-hmm. just like no there's still so much more we need to do and like it was such a huge moment that I think the network pushed back a lot on which was like he wanted to put his foot feet in the waiting pool with this, his, his black mailman like character. Uh-huh. And they were like, yeah, that's like a little too familiar. Like, it's just a little bit weird for TV. I mean, they had a point, like people putting their feet in a waiting pool is a little weird. I get that. That's like a fundamental concept. But he his point was just that like, we can share the same water as people yes. with different skin tones. Yes. And like, that was such a mind blowing concept that like, it just mm-hmm. was met with like <sighs> explosion. This is why context is important. If you left it at just swimming with the mailman, we'd have a yeah. lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> mm. um, but Look, that moment, that is a great episode. Uh, I'm with you on that. I like what Jeremy's saying here. The way he so peacefully talked about serious issues is something mm-hmm. I've always admired. I remember uh, once, not to, again, get like weirdly just like into Drew's past, but I remember once in Hebrew school in Delaware they tried to do a kind of Fred Rogers thing, which is to say they brought in a puppeteer to explain the Iran Contra issue. Oh, 
And it was like during George W. Bush's like presidency, and they were just like, "Here's what's going on. Like here's Israel, and like here's like Palestine, and here's Iran, and like oh god, the whole thing." And I remember sitting there being like, "A, this is like going over my head." Sounds like, like you're a Team about- America dry run. It <laughs> was a literally like that, and I just remember like it was like, and then America comes and they beat up the bully, and I'm like, wouldn't that make us? like the uber bully like i remember in my head thinking <laughs> the guy who comes in and beats up the bully isn't like the good guy in the situation but i could see what they were going for which is like explain and that's what mr rogers did really well oh we got donation let's see oh i like this guy's comment please read it out rogers oh yeah so let me see rogers helped me deal with racism i endured growing up in a small town in tennessee also mm. i smoked hella weed as a kid so yeah the puppets were the shit <laughs> <laughs> thank you kings that's uh that's Awesome to hear. Um, I remember that was like, it's funny like to talk about this stuff like brings up memories, but yeah, I remember distinct feeling of like, I'm being both with this Hebrew school stuff being like, I'm both being talked down to and like they're talking over my head. And like Mr. Mm-hmm. Rogers, when he's talking about these serious issues of racism, of, of bias, of, of just the way people were prejudices, but the way that people were not, people were not their prejudices. People were not their mm-hmm worst selves like are their worst mm-hmm. uh, attributes and again it seemed a little too kumbaya for me at the time but like i feel like we could really use that voice right now like i would love to see like a guy just explaining the new or maybe a woman or whoever like what well, whatever back, person back then it was it was an especially uh a big deal because it wasn't a big deal like he yeah. wasn't he wasn't trying to be the resident authority on morality he was just speaking decently mm-hmm. and yeah. and now now like we have plenty of of conscientious programming as we should but back then it wasn't he he, he didn't have an agenda you know mm-hmm. you and and he just wanted to be decent right i wonder i wonder if there is a way that like uh mr like a mr rogers neighborhood could exist right now like in that way that even putting something on PBS is to make a statement of uh, like progressive ideals and like nonprofit television. And like, I just feel like there's like no way you could, you could find a, a personality, a character, uh, a person to talk to your children that would, that would be explaining the world as it is right now and be able to do it with such like a soothing, like more like, yeah, soothing morality, truly. Maybe LeVar Burton. Maybe LeVar. You know what? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Just sub out Raving Rainbow, put in LeVar Burton. Uh, you're right. That's natural. That was a uh, good call. I forgot to say, yeah, because like we all we all need it because the part I forgot to say when I was saying that I was saying like, oh, yeah, my niece and nephew were like, they were transfixed. The part I forgot to say is that I was sitting right behind them, like on the couch, just as transfixed. Yeah. Where Where has this been? I felt like it was it was suddenly like 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 25 years ago. I was just like, fuck. I was just like, I really, really missed this in my life. Like, mm-hmm. I really needed this, this like, this slowdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was, like I said, transfixing. Yeah, it's sort of the, the 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 person that came to mind like immediately, and I realized like why they can't be that person was uh, Stephen Colbert. Like, not yeah. in the character of Stephen Colbert, but Stephen Colbert as he actually is. And I, yeah. I don't watch his late show that much, but um, when he's direct, I believe, yeah, very effective. Very effective because he's got that same thing. He's like a, mm-hmm. he believe he's like a pastor at his church and he or like a youth pastor. He's like very much, uh, he's a very sincere person who can really make you feel like you are like 
not being talked down to, but being like, you know, humbled by speak, like having spoken to. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe, so maybe, maybe Stephen Colbert, but uh, it still probably wouldn't reach like the part of the world that we like need it to reach and the part of the country it needs to reach. Um, which I guess is like a good enough transition as any, Adam, what do you think about moving over to the, the next part of the show? It's not going to be that hard of a left turn or anything, but no. I do want to talk about uh, uh, a movie that I just rediscovered in the wake of this week. Cause I, I was thinking about, I was like, doesn't this movie exist or did I just make it up uh, out of my fevered brain, which is uh, Alexander Payne's directorial debut. And when I remember when I saw it was Alexander Payne, I was like, how did I never know this? I don't think I ever knew. I don't yeah. think I, I ever knew that yeah. this movie was done by Alexander Payne. It is called Citizen Ruth. I believe it's from 1996, right? Because yes. the election was 98 uh, or 99. Uh, and this movie is, I, I kind of misremembered like what it was about or the themes of it, but I did know it was a, it was sort of like a darkly satirical look at abortion mm -hmm. uh, and the, uh, the specifically the debate around abortion. Um, it was pre-election, pre-sideways, pre like, you know, the movies that we knew Alexander Payne for, but it was sort of like a scathing satire, but also like a very human satire. Like it was also like not cruel in any way, although it did have like its ad jacket, a jacket edges. It's about uh, Laura Dern. She is a paint huffing, like kind of despicable person. Like she's a not redeemable character. Uh, she like puts Charlie Day to shame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh God, the huffing. It is, you're right, it's Charlie Day. It's Charlie Day from Always Sunny, except she's like, not nice. She's like a, she's a dirtbag Laura Dern, basically. Yes, and she, yeah, the wall. <laughs> yeah, we see her in the beginning of the, the movie. She's manipulating her brother. She's like fake crying. She needs a place to stay. She's, she's doing all this stuff. She gets caught uh, huffing paint. That she goes in front of a judge. Here's where the movie like had its one weird moment. Cause like the judge who we found out later is supposed to be like very pro-choice makes a decision to uh, allow the opposite counsel's ruling or like a motion to consider her huffing paint as reckless endangerment towards the child that she didn't know she was carrying. So the the judge tells her, okay, what you really should need to do is probably get an abortion so you don't have another kid. She's already got like three already that she's like pawned off somewhere. Um, and even though those two things, like right now, like we're like, that doesn't really make sense if it was reckless endangerment, whatever. Besides that, she gets adopted sort of by this uh, right-wing conservative, very Christian values uh, family, played by Fred Foreman from uh, <laughs> That 70s Show. And Smith. Kurtwood Smith. And the, the secretary from being John Malkovich, who is named, gosh, oh, she's Mary Kay something. or Mary, Mary Kay Place. Place. Yeah, yes, there we go. So there's, he's just sort of adopting this family. And what I really liked about the movie, truly, on rewatch, was that it never made them out to be evil. Like these are not evil people. We're, we right. see that they're like poor, that they live near an airport, that they're just sort of trying to do their best. He's got like a job as like a, a, a like a clerk at a hardware store. He's kind of getting, you know, crapped on for, you know, trying to promote his religious beliefs at the store. Um, <laughs> and he's kind of, a, he's a little bit of a creeper, but they like honestly are people who believe that they're doing the right thing and convincing her to like keep a child. Um, but very quickly they find out that they cannot like tolerate her because she's like awful. She's like a genuinely awful person who just like, you know, just she makes kind of just, just like I think Charlie Day is the best comparison. She just makes the world worse by like virtue of being around her. She's someone who like these people do not actually want to have like another child of hers in the universe. But the idea of having a kid and her having this kid is like really important. 
Well, she's well, she's an addict. Like that's mm-hmm. that's that's the first and foremost. I feel like is driving everything, everything mm-hmm. about her and all her behavior for years is because mm-hmm. she's she's she has an addict's mindset, and and it's it's she's mm-hmm. she's a scavenger, and she's constantly constantly in a in a you know fight or flight mode and in a mode of desperation and and survival because she's she's chasing she's always chasing something and that that, yes that is has devastating effects on it's hard to be anybody else other than that person when you're that deeply addicted to something well and also that like children that grow up in that environment are like not well taken care of and Mm -hmm. you know that idea that like she's no she's not fit to be a mother and no one's saying that she is but like the both sides of this are like Saying that she's got to like send a message, and that she becomes even though like no, neither side can tolerate her. She's a, a she's hijacked at one point and taken to the sort of the left wing liberal side of the pro life the pro choice argument, and it turns out like the, the one of the women uh, I forget who this actress is. She's great. Uh, the name of this Susie actress, Susie Kurtz. Susie Kurtz. She's like a, was secretly underground, like working with these people, but she's actually like a like a lesbian who's who's pro light actually pro choice i always get these two terms confused which is bad um and then it soon becomes like this very like you know gauzy no one's really right no one's really wrong everyone's just kind of trying to use her for a message and she's realizing that and and sort of like you said marisol the hustler addict that she is is starting to realize well how can i use this situation for my benefit or like what Mm -hmm. am i getting out of people start offering her money to keep the child versus and so the other side has Mm -hmm. to counter with offering her more money to have an abortion and like it just it keeps getting leveraged up, and we do meet a character who I do think is supposed to be the villain of the story in uh, Burt Reynolds, uh, right? Uh, yeah, I mean Burt Reynolds shows up, and he's supposed to be, and he's he's a great foil because in that moment you see that it's not the it's not like the poor Red Foreman family that's really the villain here. They've sort of been raising money for this woman uh, to to pay for her not to have an abortion, and meanwhile the guy who's like supposed to be in charge of their whole organization is really pissed at them because he could have used that money and like he, they went and used it without his permission. And like, and now he has to go out publicly and pretend like he's gives a shit about this, this lady when really he like, doesn't, he wants the money. Like, and I think, I think the conversation between him and red, uh, or that's always going to call him red is really enlightening because I think in that moment you just see this guy's like the scales fall from his eyes a little bit. He's like, we, we were doing what we thought was right. Like what, we thought was like the right thing to do. Yeah. And he's like, well, now I'm going to have to like go out and pretend like I think that's right too. You know, it's just really shows a cynicism that I think is correctly placed, which is not cynicism on the viewpoints that people have. It's cynicism on the leaders who, who weaponize those viewpoints and prey upon them for their own financial or gain or like power gain or whatever they need. They'll say whatever they'll do whatever. And it leads to these like sort of, uh, horrific consequences that we're kind of seeing in the country right now. Um, I watched this movie with Nerd Chronic and at the end of it, I think he came away with a very like different impression having watched it for the first time in 2021, which is like, oh no, like it was, it wasn't, it wasn't fair because it, it kind of made the left look as bad as the right or kind of made the both sides of the argument seem the same. And like, we find that like the tactics on the right side are like much worse actually than the tactics on the left. But I actually think that it's kind of a weird equivalency because I don't think either side is portrayed as being bad, like, or having the wrong idea. It's just sort of like a desperation play. Like the both sides are just kind of like trying to desperately one up each other. Yeah. I, I think what I like about the movie is I think it does what like, um, 
Um, I think South Park has had its ups and downs, but I think the the most successful episodes from that show have been the ones that have, um, you know, like skewered uh, particular topics without being preachy about it. And I think by just having a character like Ruth mm -hmm. dead center between these opposing forces, you expose the cracks. It's not about it's not about leveling the playing field arbitrarily and saying, oh, one side is just as bad as the other, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's it's more about, you know, like, I, I think um, MC Ganey's character, Harlan, is the oh, one. Oh, he's who, so great. He's, yeah, he's he, yeah, he really is. And I think that character gets at the real truth of the movie, which is you just need to be able to do what you want to do. I don't mm -hmm. care by what means it happens, but like his thing is I care about personal freedom and not in this, you know, bullshit, you know, like pseudo libertarian way. He actually is just like, this is what I want because I, you can do whatever you want with your life. But like, I want to set you free so you can do what you want to do financially because you know, the, 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 the pro-life side is trying to essentially buy her baby. Mm -hmm. And so the the left, they can't equal that. But Harlan alone wants to throw down the money gauntlet. So it's a non-issue. Yeah. And it's not because he's looking to achieve something for political gain. He just believes in her freedom. And I and, like that. Oh, and, and what does she do? I love that scene so much. Because like, what does she do like in response to that? Because this this needs to be addressed. Like, this is what makes the movie as good as it is, is like, she's a dirtbag person like nobody like he like she tries to come on to him like her response mm -hmm. to being offered this money to do what she wants to do is to try to like hit him up and like he's like are you are you are you flirting with me like what are you doing here like like her decisions to do what she wants to do are like terrible terrible decisions but they are her decisions to make and i think the end of the movie in which she uh she uh is but you know they're kind of ranching up the money amounts and she's supposed to go into the clinic and have the abortion but the day before or the morning before she wakes up and she's had a miscarriage and she's going to go tell the people uh the pro-choice side except they she hears them on the phone and they're all like you know getting really ramped for this and she hears about the money and where it's going to be and she makes a decision to just that she's not important like that she's can just opt out of the story she can take the money and she can leave and the shot of her leaving the clinic having gotten the money and just like walking through the crowd of people we're all chanting and fighting and arguing about like whether she can keep the kid or not is amazing because that really gets the heart of it it was never about her they don't know her and they don't really care about her because she's not really redeemable as we see in the story over the, as we see in the story, like her characters, and if she had been redeemable, I think it would have placed a value on one side or the other of the abortion debate. But she's she's kind of just a dirtbag. Yeah, in the end, that and that specifically, what you said is what sells the whole the whole film. Um, mm -hmm. Is that because the same thing that happened, however long ago, um, when Roe v. Wade, you know, in the seventies, when Roe v. Wade was finally finally um, came to be. Um, and to the 90s when this movie was made to 2021, um, it's always been about the the end, what you're talking about, where everybody's still arguing and still fighting, they don't even notice her, is such is such in a powerful, just 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 potent metaphor uh, or, or, or visualization of what the issue is. It's not mm -hmm. about it's it's everybody arguing and yelling back and forth over something that has nothing to do with actually and forgetting 
the actual woman that's at stake at the center of it because they're all arguing to protect an idea, you know, yeah. idea, um, um, a sense of morality, um, justice. Yeah. Like and, a sense and, of you know, righteousness. Yeah. yeah. That has nothing to do with actually. And that's what I think one of the greatest things about this movie is, is that, um, you know, like the, the pro, the pro-life people, that's not really the answer. And the pro, um, the pro-choice people, that's not really the answer either. Everybody clearly has their own agendas. And like you said, like she's, pretty much the pawn for their agendas. Um, and and it's not necessarily like you could say ultimately, well, she needs to make her own choice. So really the pro-choice people are the right, the, like the, you know, they have the right mindset in this movie, but not necessarily. Like that's not, not what I got well, out of when I was watching it. Well, you know? exactly, like, exactly. Because like, if she tells them that she's had a miscarriage, she won't get anything. Exactly. So like that's, it's the idea that like your miscarriage would would somehow detrimentally affect you for the pro uh, choice side is itself like a kind of condemnation of, of them using her as a messaging tool. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's not, I, I, yeah. yeah. It's not important that like, you know, like one side wants her to not have the abortion and one side wants her to have the abortion to mm -hmm. get back at the side that wants her to have the abortion. And mm -hmm. it's not about choosing either of those. It's just about the fact that she should just be able to choose whatever she wants, yeah. you know, and yeah. without having to pick something, the issue, and and I think it captures that so beautifully. Yeah, and I think that's the, the most likable part. I mean, not likable, but the most we relate to her because she she really mm -hmm. is just shown throughout the course of the movie as like she's just like I have my favorite scene is like she's when she's in the pro life doctor's office and she she's saying okay like they're like what do you want and she's like well I want I want to have an abortion and they're like well what do you really want like though like out of life and she's like yeah I want to get an abortion. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, let us bring in the doctor. And the doctor comes in. He's like, have you watched this video? Like, maybe you should watch the videos of comparing, you know, abortions to like Auschwitz and all this stuff. And she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? I just want a fucking abortion. And it's amazing. And it's like the gif that should just be used. Because she's like, yeah, they're acting like she's a child. And uh, they made it, the character being a drug addict is is one kind of thing. But it is, and he, you know, whether or not you think that, people who are addicted to substances uh, are in their right mind or can make decisions for themselves. At the end of the day, I think that's the most cogent choice she makes is mm -hmm. to like get out of that window, take the money. Cause she, she does say like, I know I can make life better for myself. I know I could like have a good life if I just had a little bit of money. Now the movie doesn't really, it almost like gets an easy way out by saying, okay, she walks away from the money. She walks away from all this and therefore she's going to be okay. As opposed to, well, it probably did happen when she's walked away from that money. And it's like her brother said, she'd be dead in like a week and a half. Um, she's God, she's incredible in this. She's incredible. In and this. It's really amazing that she manages to carry herself mm -hmm. in what my opinion is like. She, she comes off as she does. She looks the same, but she comes across as 10 years younger than she did in Jurassic Park. Oh my God. This was, and this came out three years after Jesus. And, and she seems so much younger in, in her personality, which is a testament to her acting ability she's amazing but wasn't like, she very young in jurassic park wasn't like the age difference between her and yeah, Cynthia, she, like she's 40 so years assured as as mm -hmm. Sadler, she was like 26 she was still pretty young and yeah but she, she's relatively such, yeah. she feels like an authority figure and that is my point and this mm -hmm. like she's just she blends right into her role beautifully and i think yeah. i what i love about ruth is she is such a mess and that's why it's so important to, to see it through the lens of this character because she's mm -hmm. ignorant to her own rights. Mm -hmm. She, she's, she has no substantial sense of self-preservation. She's, she's a real disaster, but she's not an evil human being. No, 
No, she's and, not. And like she's she wants to be decent and she just wants to figure things out. She knows what her limitations are. And and it's fascinating to hear her parrot back these these talking points mm-hmm. uh, between both sides because even though I think Alexander Payne ultimately would fall on the pro-life side of this debate, I don't think he's trying pro-choice to- Pro-choice or pro-life? Or it's pro-choice, not. pro-choice. Is this so confusing? I wish they yeah. just called no, no, different no, things. No, I, I misspoke. Pro-choice <laughs> is what yeah. I would assume uh, Payne would side on. But that mm-hmm. I don't think that's his goal here. I, I think mm-hmm. he's he's really trying to make it about our, our sense of discourse. And the fact that this had happened in the mid-90s and we're mm-hmm. still having this this you know circular debate. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think says a lot. I mean, it's it's really interesting. I'm watching it through the lens of specifically this thing happening in Texas right now because one of the interesting things that I realized after the movie is that they they've done and it's a really manipulative thing is they're not saying like it's not your body, not your choice. So they're not you don't get to sue civilly. You don't people don't private citizens don't get to sue. That the first thing is the crazy that that's what the right wing people who always believe in less government interference are doing is saying everyone go clog up the public courts with like civil suits, but they're not saying go sue the woman for having an abortion. You, the woman doesn't get sued. It's like the people who help her, like it's the doctors, the Lyft drivers, they're like targeting. So they're not saying not your body, your choice or whatever. They're not saying that. They're not like saying anything about the person in question. It's very much like system group. They're not even like considering the woman in question. It's just that every mechanation or like uh, every part of the machine involved with getting a woman an abortion is being well, it's like changing. It's like changing, you know, voting laws. It's a, it's yeah. voting laws all over again. It's just, yeah, yeah, getting getting rid of voting booths, making it more difficult in certain neighborhoods to vote. It's like, well, we never said you couldn't vote. We're just mm-hmm. going to make it impossible for you to vote. For people yeah. in for people in neighborhood neighborhoods full of minorities or um 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 poor neighborhoods, you know, like like neighborhoods without the resources. Like we're just gonna yeah. make it more difficult for you to vote, but you could still vote. Yeah. It's it's, it's like it's it's sort of like this encouragement of vigilantism is sort of like the encouragement of like the the Burt uh the Burt Reynolds character in this movie. This 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 idea of like you, you know, I'm gonna inspire you with rhetoric or with laws or whatever, so you can go out and do like uh the job of what we're saying the government should do, like technically or like, get mm-hmm. but we want to wash our hands of it and we don't actually want to be the enforcement of it. So you guys go do it in this totally unenforceable way, this way that seems like it, it, on a practical level would be literally impossible to enforce or like insane Mm -hmm. to even try. Uh, I feel like just one case about somebody countersuing on this and the judge ruling it a frivolous suit would like destroy this whole thing. But I'm I'm not an expert in these things. I just think that like I had so much anger and rage over this week and reading the news yeah. and just feeling like so helpless about it. Uh, like there was literally nothing I could do between that and like new, what happened in New York this week. I mean, my uh, place I lived with my sister before coming and staying with nerd chronic during COVID was a sub basement apartment that was split level. Half of it was above ground, half it's below the basement. It's like gone. Like she lost all her things. Like the oh. whole, the whole basement's like with all Sorry. her stuff. It, I mean, I'm out here, but like, I just, you know, she sent me a video of her and she's just like sobbing and just like going, looking around. It's like, you know, ankle high water of like all her belongings. And, you know, she, she, she's like, you know, collects curios and like hundred year old dolls and stuff and everything's just ruined. Like everything was just wiped out in a, in a one night. And that feeling of like rage and helplessness, like from being a kid, like that I haven't felt a lot of since I was a kid, like just came back in this really hardcore way this week. And I felt like that kind of uh, 
cynicism and rage and watching this movie, I think specifically helped me like work out a lot of like what I was feeling is like on a certain level. And I was like, I'm not always the biggest Alexander Payne fan, but I feel like this movie really gets it. I think this is probably my opinion. I mean, Election's very good, but I think this is probably his best film that I've seen. I, I think like this and Election are like his two most biting, like, mm -hmm. like they're so direct mm -hmm. and, and, and fun and rewatchable. And mm -hmm. even though they're of their moment, both of those movies are so good at, at still die. Like you watch them now, they, and they automatically dial into what we're, we're mm -hmm. experiencing right now. Yeah. That white male rage of like of yeah. Matthew Broderick. It's just so right. Like, yeah, the beta male whole thing. Very much. Has. Very mm -hmm. much. Now, personally, About Schmidt and Sideways are two personal favorites of mine that are in just a completely different stratosphere, but that's my personal experience. Mm -hmm. I do agree that Election and Citizen Ruth have the most to say. And, like, it's it's strange. I, mean, I tweeted about it, but I'm like, how many people know that this movie exists? I mean, even, like, though we've mm -hmm. had this Dernaissance that was based a lot, in fact, I think, on the idea of, uh, or on Mike White's uh, Enlightenment, which he starred in on HBO, which was an amazing show, an amazing show, only got two seasons. Uh, the guy who did White Lotus and Chuck and Buck, uh, great director. Um, but it feels like that's what kicked off the Dernaissance and that feels like the role that was most akin to this character. Like she unenlightens about and pretty much like she intolerable character. She's like the unlikable female protagonist that like is the equivalent of like the Walter White or like, you know, something like that. Like she's just so unself-aware. What is she going like, to huff next? That's yeah, become an interesting subplot of the movie. I mean, <laughs> honestly, yeah, what she's going to huff next is not the subplot of the movie. Enlightenment, she's just, she's just batshit. And she's like, and then when she comes back from, she has a breakdown at work, she starts like accusing her boss who she's been sleeping with. She has this total meltdown. She's this high level executive. She's sent away on a corporate retreat to like, help her nervous breakdown when she comes back she's full of all this self-help enlightenment lingua lingo and she gets like a job at the old company back but they kind of put her like in the basement working in it and she's using all this like verbiage of like wokeness and like being one with the earth but she like the rage and like her her nervous breakdown self is still like simmering right under the surface and it becomes like this amazing story about like accountability and whistleblowing and like this character who is unlikable still is the hero of the story because her actions are better than her personality. And I always thought that was like a really cool part of the story and watching Citizens Ruth, I was like, did he get this idea from watching her performance in that? Like, cause that feels like a movie that's very tied into that show specifically. Hmm. Um, Alexander Payne must be good friends with the Dern family since he directed Bruce in Nebraska. That was my thought too, was that he always focuses on like the Midwest really. And, uh, it's, it's like this small town America well, feel like I never feel like he's being condescending to the, the red foreman family. Like the idea that they're no. small town America poor he's from people. there. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. He understands. Like it's not, he's not making them out to be yokels like, or anything like at all. Like he's just like, they're at anything like a, as much of a victim of this system as, as she is. Like sideways it, is one of his only movies set outside of Nebraska. So about Schmidt, citizen Ruth election, um, Nebraska, obviously, all set in Nebraska. So, <laughs> I, uh, I oh, Descendants is Hawaii. Sorry, Descendants, right? Oh my God, I forgot he did. Well, he didn't write Descendants, so Descendants was written by the Peyton. Was what, what? Sorry, it was written by the guy who plays the dean in Community, right? Quite possibly. Don't have you that think? at the tip of my tongue. Oh yeah, oh, what's his name? I didn't know that. Yeah, um, it's with George Clooney, right? And Matthew Lillard, or am I totally making that up? Mm. Let me see. Let me see. Descendants. Uh, 
movie. I'm getting a TV show by Kenny Ortega, which is crazy. Didn't know that exist. Um, the Descend Why am I not seeing it? The Descendants. Am I like totally crazy? Is it not called The Descendants? No, it is. You're probably in that Disney, oh, TV, that Disney yeah. show. I am. Yeah. So yeah, this was written by, you were totally right. I wasn't that Disney show. <laughs> Thank you. Wizards, uh, what the hell? I was like, this does not look right. It was written by, yeah, Jim Rash. Oh, it was Alexander Payne, Nat Faxon, and Jim Rash. Jim Rash. Rash. I, yeah. I, I can never remember Dean the Dean's name. I want to call him Peyton. Like, uh, I want to call him Peyton Reed because he looks like Peyton Reed to me a little bit. <laughs> Greg Batola yeah. looks like him too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a whole bunch of people who look like that. Um, what did Marisol and Adam drinking? Someone's asking. Oh, a mixture of stuff. It's oh, Saturday yeah? night, so I got all the all the goodies out. What do you got? Let's see. Let's see what Marisol's got. It's it's straight up Evan Williams for me tonight. Nice. I'm a simple I'm a simple woman. Um, I'm also drinking uh, a little bit on a budget. I got I got a little bit of Jim Beam in here, and I finished up an Elysian Space Dust IPA earlier. Ooh, that so, sounds amazing. Yeah. I like how everyone's like, uh, somebody's like, what are Adam and Marisol drinking? Knowing that I am drinking my usual uh, Canada dry. I'm not, I'm not sober. I just, I don't have any alcohol in the house ever. Did, did Eric, did Eric uh, prepare your usual pint of insure for the evening? Yes, he, he did. Okay. Okay. Good. He got the insure. He got the <laughs> minute measle. Like we've got the whole mix. Uh, All right. Good, good. I've got my Werther's uh, next to me. Actually do. I do have a thing of Werther's out in the garage, but um. Worthers are awesome. Lee yeah. Wiggins will back you up on that. Yeah. Sugarless <laughs> Worthers. In fact, now I'm like craving them. I'm going to text Eric and just be like, yeah, bring them right. in to me. Uh, sugarless Worthers are my jam. Um, and yeah, because I don't want to rot my teeth as if like that's the problem. Yeah, this, the diet, the diet <laughs> ginger ale and the sugarless Worthers are going to save me from uh, from my teeth rotting out. No, um, look, I think that this this week has been particularly tough for everybody. And I feel like we all need our own ways to blow off steam today. Me and Eric went to um, Frankenstein's with this giant Costco sized, uh, basically like the floor of Comic-Con where you like buy nerd shit. Like, but it's like the size yeah. of Costco and it's just kiosks selling Pokemon oh, cards and like t-shirts and Nintendo games and like just the nerdiest stuff you can buy. It's and like I bought a, a farmer's market of dorkdom. Yes, exactly. Oh, exactly. And I got so into talking about, this this is not this is not part of my childhood, but I do want to bring this up. Uh, this thing called MetaZoo. It's like this new card game that just came out. Steve I, Ao I've seen you uh, post about this. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like I don't know how to play it. I don't know how to play it at all. But like the cards are like um, scary cryptids, but they are like kind of done up like Pokemon. But it's like you know the Mothman or like the New Jersey Devil or like the Metal Man of Alabama. Like and it's just. <laughs> You know, and like the market's gone crazy about it. I managed to find two stalls that were selling them. Crazy amount of money. The the uptick on them. I've got like my first edition booster box. I got the day it came out because uh, someone told me about it for like $150. That's already worth like $900. And I got like, this is my second pack of this because I actually want to open one of them. And like the other one I have to keep saved for a collector's item. But that's oh, like how nice. I, that's how I like got off my steam today. I just did that, bought some Pokemon, feel a little bit better. <laughs> you you got to take those small steps. You can't fix it all at once. No, can't fix the world all at once. Not until um, my collector's cards make a lot of money. Video Drew, would <laughs> yeah. it be okay if I tease something I'm working on? Um, mm -hmm. that we will hopefully debut to the public at some point. That is, oh my god, blow off steam. I would love that. I think I know what um, you're talking about. <laughs> so I have been uh, all my like ever since um, uh, wrestling video games 
had the customize your own character function. I've been obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. And um, so recently I, I reached out to Video Drew about an idea I got. So in all fairness, I like to give credit where credit's due. I saw these guys on a Twitch channel do this fun thing where they created a bunch of recognizable celebrities and pop culture characters, put them into a Royal Rumble and let them fight it out and did a, a commentary. It was quite amusing. So I reached out to Video <laughs> Drew and I said, hey, what if we did that? But we did it with Schmodown people. Yes, you did so, say that. <laughs> so I have already uh, created uh, roughly a dozen different Schmodown characters, um, uh, some of whom may be represented on screen now. And I have put them into simulated uh, wrestling matches uh, to hilarious results. Very and cool. and what I will say is that eventually we're hoping to come up with a way to do some live commentaries on these AI matches between Schmodown personalities who are doing imagine Bibiani, Dan Merle, and and uh Lon Harris in a hell in a cell match. Or or imagine, you know, um uh uh Lady Justice and Video Drew. Uh, uh, doing a, a ladder match to get the, the money in the bank out of the suitcase. Yeah. I'm just saying, <laughs> this is really entertaining stuff and um, uh, it's in the works, but I have been working on making these characters lately. Every time I, I need to like, just like decompress, mm -hmm. it's great. Oh, I it's love that. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. So somebody's asking, what are some of the special moves? Well, there's a ladder one. <laughs> I know that. Uh, my favorite move is uh, when... Um, uh, in one match, um, one competitor was climbing up the ladder and the other competitor was trying to knock over the ladder but couldn't. So he just started punching him directly in the ass. Just like <laughs> punching him right in the ass until the guy <laughs> fell off the ladder. Um, and that man's name was Ben Bateman. No. Yeah. Um, uh, at one point, um, uh, Lady Justice and Video Drew may have hit each other in the face with ladders. Uh, that was pretty Damn. fun. Yeah. Damn. So I'm just saying. <laughs> That's not even the latter part I saw. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and plus uh, I can, you know, I can reprogram these characters to have specific special moves. So I'll, the idea is maybe if we do some of these matches and people get into it, they can have special requests for characters. Maybe we can change finishing moves. I love maybe this. We can change the entrances. I but love I'm telling this. you, it's, it's, it's good stuff. And it's, uh, Endless entertainment, in my opinion. How long does it take you to to program like a match on this thing? The matches are easy. It's about creating the characters, and I can get a character like the broad strokes of a character done in fifteen to twenty minutes. And then it's Jeez. about then it's about perfecting it, and maybe like tweaking the facial features and the 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 body shape to get them a little more specific. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And then uh, uh, one thing I'll give away is I made Jacob Blunden. And he's adorable. And I put him in a handicap match against Andre the Giant in the big show. And it was the funniest oh, thing I ever saw. My God. He, yeah. he can't show us any clips of this yet, can you? Like that? No, be... no, but I'm teasing the audience. Oh, so I love it. We can, we can show something in the next few weeks. Dude, if the whole next episode of Why Are We Like This is just us explaining how we're like this by calling a Schmodown match, <laughs> which two <laughs> people are wrestling, I feel like that's a very good explanation of why you are like this, Adam. And I, yeah. I can definitely get behind that. Yeah. Well, like I, one of my traditions is I always created God and the devil in the wrestling games. And I've done, I've, I need to create God, but I did create the devil already. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it Christian or is it Mark? Which one? No, no, no. I just made a giant guy who looks like a cartoon oh. saint. 
and he's and how good is, yeah. how good is he at uh, movie release dates? <laughs> <laughs> what I can tell you is he could pick you up just by grabbing your face and throwing you across the ring. So that's <laughs> sure, 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 sure. <laughs> but in Kurosawa, he's just he's just lost in the woods. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, he's probably no good at that. He's more uh, of a YA adaptations guy. Yeah, it's a broad category, but you know he's watched a lot of it in his downtime, so he thinks he's got it right. Right, it's better than those those purely narrow uh, Satanist categories. Um, that actually brings us to a, a good segue. I feel like Adam, for for your last topic of the evening, uh, I feel like this has got some good flow to it. We've we managed to somehow pivot from Mr. Rogers to the abortion movie that Alexander Payne did, and bring it back around to something a little dark but a little light at the same time, maybe. Yeah. So um, uh, it's in the it's in the description. So um, I am a big fan of the video game series Castlevania. And uh, for those who are unacquainted, the sh the the short version uh, to of that that game's history is: um, imagine mixing up all the classic monsters in a video game, so that uh, you go to Dracula's castle, you fight your way through it. You're fighting zombies and monsters and all these different creatures, and then at the end of each level, you fight Frankenstein's monster, you fight the Wolfman, you fight a mummy, you fight um, the Grim Reaper, and then eventually you fight Dracula. And the games evolved over time uh, so that now it's like become this like grandiose, like, like larger than life mythology. Um, and it's, it's become, it's been adapted into uh, a very revered um, animated series on Netflix. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's really, really cool. And uh, the reason I bring it up as something that, why are we like this? Mm -hmm. Uh Frankly, uh, one of the first video games I ever played was a Castlevania game on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Then, um, you know, Castlevania Symphony of the Night is my favorite video game of all time, which was released on the original PlayStation. And in that particular game, you're playing as a character named Alucard. Dracula spelled backwards, yes. Oh, my um, God. <laughs> yes. And uh, he is Dracula's half-human son. Um, oh. And he's had enough of his dad's shit. So he goes through the whole castle, fighting his way through, only to discover at the end of it, there's a completely upside down castle above the clouds that he has to go into. And you play the whole game over again. What? But, up, but upside down. That is very and, frustrating. And it's so disorienting. And you fight all new bosses in an upside down version of the castle. It's a masterpiece. That's um, brilliant and deranged. That is yes. some sick shit. I love it. Yeah, it's so crazy. <laughs> And you end up fighting these Lovecraftian monsters um, and and stuff like that. Um, so uh, the thing I love about Castlevania is it honors the tradition of amalgamating so many things we love about pop culture. For me, as a horror fan, I grew up loving horror movies, obviously. But monster movies, specifically as a subsection, universal. So like Dracula, Wolfman, Mummy, um, Frankenstein's monster. Mm -hmm. um, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Invisible Man. Uh, all those characters were so iconic for me. And then, you know, the 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 chair, the, you know, just the what tied it up in a bow was the monster squad, you know, and people uh anywhere between 25 to 40 grew up with that movie. Uh, a lot of them did anyway. And if you're a fan of that genre, that movie was the Goonies, but with monsters. Mm -hmm. And um, it literally is the Goonies, but with monsters. It is. It is. And, um, but I think what's great about the tradition of these iconic monsters is they've sort of transcended their own IP as we, you know, lovingly refer to it nowadays. It's just, you know, our jargon. 
but like you think back to Dracula and uh, Frankenstein as novels and what they've become and what they've evolved into. Mm -hmm. And I still like looking at where, where they started and where they ended up. And I enjoy the thread that connects them because mm -hmm. even though, yeah, it is cheesy to see a green Frankenstein's monster on your Halloween candy compared to the seriousness of the creature in the novel. I think if you're a horror fan, there's room for both. Mm -hmm. And I think Castlevania is so much fun because it allows you to interact with film and pop culture and genre history. Mm -hmm. And you literally get to play through it. So I mean, it's a really cool point. I mean, we were talking earlier about like how that it's also not any uh, like ownable IPs, even though these are all universal monsters, like Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the Mummy, Wolfman. Uh, you know, Monster Monster Squad like got around it a little bit by circumventing a little bit by the word, language that they used, even though it very clearly looks like the Bela Lugosi Dracula. I don't think is he like not called that, or he's just a vampire. Well, the um, thing is, at that point, you had Christopher Lee and Frank Langella's versions, and the the at that like slick back Dracula is not an IP. Mm -hmm. But if you go as far as like trying to make him look like Bela Lugosi, I think that's where they draw the line. Right. I mean, yeah, when you do Bram Stoker's Dracula, I don't think that was for Universal, but it does bring up a good point, which is like, you know, we think of these, uh, I guess the Wolfman's never been like a sexy figure, but we certainly had, and I talked about this on a podcast recently about like the YA thing of uh, Twilight, like what a boon Twilight was for this YA book industry and how it became about this, you know, adaptation, adapting every YA thing that came on the market. It was all dystopia. It was all supernatural. It was all, you know, and then that became like, supernatural television including the show supernatural like this all be mm -hmm. kind of fed into each other and in doing so became like somewhat self-aware like it, it became like skynet like it started to be aware like of the tropes starting with i think even like buffy was like aware of other pop culture surrounding the mythos and legacies of these characters or these or these creatures or entities and i think that's where i started getting really into it was like the idea that these characters could exist in a world in which they know that like they wish that the vampire in their universe was going to get killed by Buffy. Like I remember that was like a joke on true blood once. And I was like, Oh, they know about their universe is so much like ours that they know about Buffy. Like that is crazy to me. And and that level well, of like meta awareness, I think is, I think key for me loving stuff. Kevin, the woods is like that too, you know? And I'm curious about both of your experiences growing up with universal monsters. Cause I engaged with them at an early age. Mm -hmm. And I remember having discussions with my friends talking about the universal monsters as if they were comic book characters, like, uh, like, like arbitrarily assigning powers to Dracula. I remember like I had it in my head that Dracula somehow was proficient at martial arts. Oh, uh, what? Oh my and, God. And, that's amazing. And, and and that's why if he had a fight with Frankenstein's monster, who of course I just called Frankenstein when I was right. a child, because uh, the real know, monsters like, are the people that correct you. Well, we just we we would say Frankenstein was basically the Incredible Hulk. He could just punch everything, mm -hmm. and then Dracula was very nimble and very very fast. And so it was always about those two fighting. Um, uh, but I don't know, like uh, just enlighten me, like what like aside from like Halloween experiences, what was it like growing up with these characters and seeing them repurposed in pop culture? I think my first experience, if, if you don't mind me going, is, is I only understood them as repurposed to pop culture because while I had never seen Monster Squad, I saw Adam and Costello meet the Wolfman, meet Dracula mm -hmm. and the Wolfman. That was my first relationship with it. And that's like a different kind of metatextual. Like that was taking the ideas of these are the Dracula and the Wolfman that exist in the universal lore. But what if they ran into these bumbling buffoons that are like everyone knows and loves and it, it, it turned them farcical. 
Uh, mm -hmm. And so I always understood it through this like weird, like, yeah, Kevin the Woods meta awareness gaze that I think I, you know, along with my love of Mr. Sancier and everything else, everything for me was very camp. Like it wasn't literal, like the scary things to me that were like the stand, like the Stephen King stuff in which like the, the villains were never like clearly defined as a finite person that you could just get rid of. It was always like about a group think or like mentality of, of or, like a herd mentality or like, you know, needful things was very scary to me, Tommy knockers. So mm -hmm. I don't, I think I thought they were fun, like probably like in a Kung Fu way. But I never found them scary uh, until Freddy Krueger. I found Freddy Krueger very scary. What about you, Marcel? Oh, you're on mute. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you're you're good. Yeah. Yay, podcasting 101. Um, <laughs> but um. Yeah, no, you said it really well, Drew. I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like, like my exposure to, was not. Um, like it was seeing things already, already being filtered through pop culture and through as, as, and as references, you know, my introduction to a lot of these monsters, these classic monsters was through like Looney Tunes or Animaniacs, mm -hmm. you know, like it was through, it was through cartoons. It was through reference and being referenced in a humorous way. The Simpsons, um, the Simpsons horror nights were like yeah, how I exactly. learned about most horror movies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, or through, through like indirectly through seeing people dressed up as, as seeing teenagers or adults dressed up as them either at during actual Halloween or in movies that have a scene that takes place in Halloween or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, very little of my exposure was actually absorbing um, these creatures and these creations through their original, their original, you know, dark universe, you know, through, through um, those original films. Um I have a question, actually, Adam. Do you find any of them scary? Like on on the premise of alone, like the lore mythology of, let's say, Dracula, Frankenstein's monster, the Mummy, Wolfman. Like, do any of them like inherently with the mythos spilled into the movie versions of them? At least, find, is there something that's been scary to you about that, or do you find them it's, like more fun? I mean, scary to me at this point in my life, especially as it pertains to horror, is a very relative term because even. Uh, something as fundamentally uh, upsetting as hereditary only scares me so much because I'm such a fan of the genre. Right. Mm. So like, um, mm. like I, 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 if, when it comes down to being scared, mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say I find it scary, but I find it um, evocative. And mm -hmm. I, the thing I love about the iconography of these characters is you go back and watch it. They, they set the tone. It really all starts with, um, you know, like Nosferatu and and yes. Doctor Caligari. That stuff scary. And That's the lesser scary. known Haxon, which is a masterpiece. Which Haxon. Haxon. H a x a n. Um, it. It's a silent film about the history of witchcraft. It's awesome. I haven't even seen Ken Russell's The Devils, but now after watching Space Jam and New Legacy, I feel like I must. Thank you, Space Jam and New Legacy, Space for opening up. <laughs> I mean, I Hopefully like we finally get a DVD release of that, right? I, I think we might have to. I noticed, speaking mm -hmm. of Hereditary, I saw the, the actor who plays the boyfriend in um in Midsommar writing, like he does these little reviews Jack on uh, Jack Rayner on Instagram. He does little movie reviews of like old time, like he just goes through the filmographies of certain like old timey directors and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's on Ken Russell a little while ago. Uh, and he was, or Kurt, yeah, Ken Russell and Kenneth Russell. And he was talking about the devils. And this was like before Space Jam Legacy came out. And I was just like, 
should we ask him to be in Schmodown? Because like, he's just like up, just talking about the devil. Like nobody else is talking about the movie right now. And he described it in a very evocative way that made it sound yeah. absolutely upsetting. <laughs> I, I I think we should for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what I love, um, what I want to mention about Nosferatu is Nosferatu was an illegal film. It was uh, back then Dracula was still very much, um, not in the public domain. It was mm -hmm. only 30 years old, roughly. And uh, F.W. Murnau was determined to make his version of the Dracula story and he couldn't get the rights. So he changed the names and that's why it's Count Orlock and all this stuff. And um, so it's a complete ripoff, but it's also technically the first successful Dracula adaptation. Yeah. And, I mean, and it's distinct from the Bela Lugosi, Todd Browning film which I love. I love both movies for different reasons, but they're familiar stories with the same broad strokes. Mm -hmm. But I think what's special about Dracula especially is, is the way you can retell that story mm -hmm. and um, why he's a character that just keeps coming up over and over and over again is because mm -hmm. we as a society are obsessed with him because he, he, he transcends both the, the mythological and, and the historical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, blends these ideas of heaven and hell and the past and the present in a really interesting way. And yeah. and and he he even transcends vampirism in a way because that's almost mm -hmm. incidental to his character. Yeah, he's always adapted. He's sort of like Phantom of the Opera, although he's 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 much scary in a lot of different ways. I think in a meta physical way, he's much scary because he is very human and he has very human desires to live, to keep living, to, to love, to find his love. You know, like it's just, he's a, mm -hmm. he's, he's a very romantic ideal of like a monster. Like it's almost like he's too erudite uh, to be a monster, but the Nosferatu version of him was more animal than he was man. And still like had that, you had that empathy for him. He was a, he was a pathetic creature, uh, although he was also terrifying. We're all fans um, of Coppola's Dracula here, right? Uh, yeah, I just watched it recently. Oh, yeah. I didn't say I got to the part where they were li she's licking the blood from Gary Oldman's chest. And I was like, I think I might be done here. And I turned <laughs> it off. I was like, I don't know why that hit the, like the Drew ceiling of like things I can tolerate. <laughs> Winona Ryder, like sucking on Eric Gary Oldman's chest. And I was like, I can't. Okay. So I don't having, actually know. How having happens. recently rewatched Jerry Maguire, I find that less egregious than Tom Cruise licking Renee Zellweger on her own porch. I uh. do not like that either. Oh, I forgot that was part of the movie. That's so Gross. Why that's, do that? like, that's like an eight minute scene in the movie he too. Likes her? Oh, well, oh, like more like or less. It's just, it goes on so long. It goes on so long. Oh, I find that upsetting on such like a, like my body like re reacts like the way like it did when I saw like a Black Widow the other day. Like my body just just like tenses <laughs> up and just wants to like like withdraw into itself. Uh, that's hugely upsetting that that happens in Jerry Maguire. One of these like. Oof, oof. That is some Ari Aster shit right there. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do I do think that like the way that we understand things today, like there was a movie, there was a TV series about Dracula just two, in 2020 that came out that was, I believe, Stephen Moffat's show. And again, it was trying to reinvent Dracula as like a Hannibal Lecter did, for, or the show Hannibal did for Hannibal Lecter, make him like a, or Bates Motel did for Norman Bates, you know, kind of make him into the anti-hero of, of uh, his own universe. And I think mm -hmm. that is the impulse. Shows. Yeah, Hannibal and Bates Motel, yeah. yeah. I have a fun story about Bates Motel, I can tell you in a second. But uh, uh, the thing about Dracula is like, he was still, he was like the Sherlock, but he was also blah, blah, blah. I think it's really hard to make 
um, movie right now where there is like an uber villain that is a, a, a just a vampire or a werewolf or or a mummy because it's just not inherently maybe it's, it's not inherently scary to us or like there's more nuance that we need in terms of of the villains now because so many times we get these powerful bad guys and then just to see them redeemed and i think it's almost like dracula has too sympathetic of a story to make him like a scary monster at least as we understand well, him like right now what i want to say um uh to bring it back to castlevania at least briefly is mm -hmm. um my uh, uh symphony night's my favorite but one of my favorite mm -hmm. uh other favorite games in the castlevania series is called castlevania lords of shadow came out on playstation 3 and xbox 360 um uh about a decade ago. And um, uh, for anyone who's watching who knows the God of War games, it plays very similarly to those. Mm -hmm. But what's cool about it is it's an origin story for Dracula. It's a brand new origin story. Ooh. Um, uh, that's completely like stripped of, of our known history of Vlad the Impaler. And it's about this righteous warrior named Gabriel um mm -hmm. who is uh you know a protector of the forces of light and he's and he's you know essentially like an, a medieval warrior who is fighting you know um uh uh basically the 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 forces of satan on earth mm -hmm. and what's cool is it's got this whole highlander storyline where his mentor uh turns on him and get this gabriel is voiced by robert carlisle and his mentor is voiced by patrick stewart Wait, what? And, yeah, and this is a Castlevania video. This game. is a video game? Yes. And uh, that's why I saved the voice casting until I got your attention. Uh, um, yeah, that gets my attention pretty yeah, good. So you could watch just the cutscenes of Castlevania Lords of Shadow online without playing the game and get the gist of what I'm talking about. And I think you'd gain an appreciation of, of what I'm saying here because this game is has so much atmosphere. The score is completely epic. I still listen to the score. And they had a sequel, but it didn't. It wasn't as good. Um, uh, but the original is such a cool reimagining of Dracula's origin story, uh, where he is not uh, Gerard Butler as Judas in Dracula Two Thousand. Which oh my god, Gerard Butler has played both, Ju uh, both Dracula and he's also played Phantom of the Opera. That's what I'm saying. It's like the same dude. It's the know, same craziness. dude. Yeah, I do think Dracula 2000 saying Judas is Dracula is one of the craziest takes ever. And that's kind uh, of brilliant in a way, even though that movie sucks. I mean, I really like it's literally I, I do like it. Also, uh, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, the idea that, uh, you know, it's the abolitionists who are fighting the racist vampire. Like it's it's vampires that are keeping like the American South the way it is. And like <laughs> yeah. it's just fighting them alongside Jimmy Simpson and Anthony Mackie. Like that's also like a cool idea done terribly <laughs> well i um suffice it to say if you delve into the castlevania series there's a lot of good shit out there mm -hmm. um i'm personally awaiting um a legacy collection which is like the nes and super nintendo games all on one disc it's going to be wonderful but um that lords of shadow stuff is purely cinematic and it's fun to watch on youtube at the very least i think in my head i've always confused the castlevania stuff with um like escape from castle wolfenstein like the one about the that sort of overlord is was sort of like based on yeah no, that's the nazi demons I'm yeah talking about you know the vampire monster. yeah so it's funny because my experience with with uh computer games growing up was very scary my 
again, my parents just whatever we wanted to be like in our universe, they or whatever they thought was cool and scary, we got to experience way too early. Mine was the seventh guest, uh, which was a CD-ROM game, as well as this game called uh, Sanitarium. Mm. And this one game called, uh, this was interesting, I Have No Mouth, But I Must Scream, which was a adaptation of Harlan Ellison's short story about an AI that takes over the universe and keeps like five to seven humans alive, just torturing them on a loop through eternity by putting them in various uh, simulated scenarios. And at the end, one of the guys kind of frees himself for a moment and slashes everyone else's throats so they can die and escape. And then the AI turns him into a slug. So he has no mouth, but he must scream. And you just basically play the game through this like existential horror show. And the AI was voiced by like uh, Harlan Ellison, which was like very cool to me as a kid. <laughs> I, I that title alone sounds mm -hmm. like a way to live your life yeah like, yeah 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 basically so that so yeah the, i guess i'm more on the ghoul side than the monster side when i think about it like that's that's me i'm like i me. love ghouls yeah i love ghouls there's and, ghouls have I you have... seen the dead don't die by the way yes so I... the best part of that one of the ghouls. best parts of that movie adam driver says you know ghouls ghouls the way Adam Driver talks throughout that movie is incredible. I also just saw, speaking of, that's a zombie movie talking about vampires. I just saw uh, him and, or uh, sorry, Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton in uh, Only Lovers Left Alive, which I enjoyed so immensely for considering like a German who's just hit or, hit or miss for me sometimes. Um, have you seen that movie, Marisol? Um, Only Lovers Left Alive? Um, I'm embarrassed to say mm -hmm. that I've never seen a Jim Jarmusch movie. <gasps> Adam, how are you how are you how are you not rectifying this? It's been um, rough. Worked, he considered dropping me as his partner. I've been <laughs> I've been selling her pretty hard on a lot of his repertoire. Um it would help if he had a goddamn slice. Um but yeah. I'll tell you I'll tell you this. Um I think I think uh Marisol will cave before too long. I say, too much good stuff in his his catalog. I have no idea where to start. Yeah I don't know where to start with Patterson Honestly? or or Ghost Dog or or down by law. I, I don't man. know where to start. I think okay. I think Dead Man is the way to start because it's a Dead good man. meditation. But I think also I think Only Lovers Left Alive was like a really good movie. So it's, 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 it's so good, and it's got all the people you like or like that everyone likes. It's got the people that are so hot right now: Tilda and 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 Hiddleston and, uh, and Anton Yelp. John Hurt is in it. Playing... I don't want to spoil John. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I, won't, I, I, I won't spoil. Yeah, I won't spoil. I won't spoil who he is. Uh, Anton Yelchin is is great in it. Like it's just. Oh, and uh, Mia Wasikowski. I mean, it's just great. It's just a great, it's dry. Yeah. It's like the perfect type of like Jarmusch comedy, which is like dryly like humorous vampires. It's not, uh, well, it's not what we do in the shadows, but it is like a, they, you could see them existing in the same world. Almost. It's a great it's, double feature with it though. Cause they're yes. both funny for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, someone's saying one of my favorite recent vampire movies is Thirst by Park Chan-wook. He made a vampire Ooh. movie? Yes. What? Um, yes. See it. When? When did this happen? I love him. Like eight years ago? Ten years uh, ago? I don't know. I love him. Wow, that's crazy. Maybe I don't know. Further back. Maybe like 2009. I, I, I might be. I don't know. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, I've got to check this out. I think 09. So is this like crazy? Is this like crazy? I guess you can just tell me. Is this movie just nuts? Um, is this so like, like I honestly I need to revisit it. Um I saw it uh back in college, but um yeah, uh well worth the watch. Um and uh from from what I recall, the, the thing the thing that I love about uh international horror especially is mm -hmm. it's just automatically refreshing. 
every yes. single time. Um, and especially oh, when, yeah. when vampire lore is explored uh, through the lens of another culture, it's just, it's, it, it's always, it, 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 it always They're sets so apart so much better. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the cool thing of it, the cool thing about any sort of mythos and mythology, whether it's YA vampires or this vampires or that, it's like the, everyone gets to remake the rules a little bit, but like, yeah, the, the idea, like, especially in Asian culture about what a vampire is, the laws they abide by, you know, there's something I remember, like, there's always something with like putting a piece of paper on their head, like that, like stops them uh, in, I think Japan or something. I, I love that movie. One cut above. It's, I don't know. It wasn't one cut above. It was one, one cut, cut of the dead. One cut of the dead. Great. Like you're right. It's just like when you see horror movies through other cultures eyes, it's why we have the ring. It's why we have the grudge. Like, you mm -hmm. know, the impact of Asian cinema on horror cannot be like overstated. I think at this point, I did not know. And he made one of my favorite movies of all time, which is old boy, just truly upsetting movie. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, um, um, it's, uh, uh, song Kang Ho who's in parasite and old boy. Oh, oh, or he's in, no. he's in, he's in, like, he's in Parasite, not Old Boy, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, because the Old Boy guy was in this other very upsetting movie, I Saw the Devil, which I went to get I Saw the Devil is so good. Yeah. It's so upsetting, though. I didn't think it was going to be, like, that hardcore. I know, but I really dig that movie. I love, I love the concept of that movie, which is, like, serial killer meets, like, vengeance cop, and then they run into a house full of, like, cannibals, and, like, the whole thing just goes off the rails. It is just bonkers bananagrams it does remind me actually i was thinking about this earlier my favorite trope and we can kind of sort of close it out with this i've been thinking a lot about what my favorite trope is gun to the head what is my favorite trope in movies and television and pop culture and i think it's when the crazy villain is like i'm out guys this is a little too nuts for me like that is my favorite thing to have happen in a series is for like the crazy person to immediately sane the hell up around some crazier situation like I, I love when that happens, and I feel like that's like kind of it happens at various points and levels. Uh, in I saw the devil, but yeah, there's some parts where like yeah, the the insane person is like, that's crazy, man. Like you got to get a, you got to get a hold of yourself. You're, like that's nuts. Yeah, you start worrying, like you you start feeling like the serial killer is mm -hmm. is uh, making some good points. The yeah. one or the one who needs to be afraid too. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. I I even had that thought a little bit while watching um. Uh, Mr. What's it called? Yeah, Mr. Uh, Doctor Sleep. I was like, he didn't go to four years of uh, medical college to be called Mr. Sleep. Uh, Doctor Sleep with the rest of Ferguson character, where I felt like half the movie you're just watching through her POV being chased around by Ewan McGregor and this little girl. Like it just feels like. Yeah, she starts <laughs> to get like scared of that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I like that trip a lot. So uh, I can't wait to watch that movie. I did want to say one thing. I'm to circle back. Um, about Bates Motel, because I'm doing a script right now for Rotten Tomatoes, nice. and uh, it's, yeah, thank you. Um, and it's about a bunch of scary horror TV shows, so I gotta find out some fun facts about Bates Motel, one of which is that Timothy Chalamet auditioned to play Norman Bates, <laughs> but fucked up his audition when he accidentally rented American Psycho instead of Psycho, and based his whole audition on playing Patrick Bateman. <laughs> based on his age at the time, that would track. I mean, amazing. Like that makes me so happy. <laughs> Thinking of Timothy Chalamet accidentally renting American Psycho and being well, like, "This is who they want me to be." Video Drew, when we eventually get the Patrick and Sean Bateman prequel uh, to Rules of Attraction, oh, American yo. Psycho. Chalamet, 
it's gonna be shallow. Where they're all going to? What's the college? Oh, uh, as Bennington is the real one. Bennington, I don't the one yeah. in Bennington. Yeah. Oh man, that's so good. Uh, from Mr. Rogers to abortion to to <laughs> Timothy Chalamet playing uh, young Patrick Bateman. I think this has been a great episode of Why Are We Like This. This is explaining exactly why I'm like this this week. Although, <laughs> thank you so much, Marisol, for joining us. By the way, no, it was great. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. Um, I am sort of disappointed that no one mentioned my awesome shirt that I had made specifically from the Disney store. Whoa, Ray Star Wars from the movie Star Wars. It's like a shirt I saw <laughs> Jenny. I saw Jenny Nicholson wearing it in a video once and I was like, I need it. I need it right now. <laughs> it turns out you can only get it made officially at the Disney store. You have to like type it up, pick the font, pick the picture. Wow. Pay like $30 for the shirt, but it makes me very happy. Ray Star Wars from the movie Star Wars. Mm. We need Chef's to get kid. Taylor Robinson one of those. She's still yes. dealing, dealing with feelings about episode nine. <laughs> Man, have you seen Annette yet? Like, we can still talk about our feelings about oh episode nine. Oh my god, we have to do a whole episode on it. Yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. But let's. I think this closes out another episode of Why Are We Like This? Um, Marisol, where can people find you? Um, people can find me uh, maybe on maybe on Letterboxd and maybe on Twitter sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, my handles are the same at. Marisol underscore Mariah, M-I-R-I-A-H. And mainly you can find me if you get tickets to the cantina next weekend where I'm going to play um, in the Schmodown for the singles belt. Yeah, um, girl. See if I could become a champion. That would be cool. Dude. Um, and then you can catch that, I think, the next week as a PPD, the next week on the SEN network. So yeah, I mean, if you aren't getting your tickets to this, if you, if you aren't like showing up for the PPV, like I don't even know what you're doing right now because this is the most exciting thing going on in my life right now and I'm not even playing. Like <laughs> I didn't realize it was next weekend. That's so tight. And I don't even say words like that. Uh that's awesome. <laughs> um Adam, where can we find you? Uh in LA next weekend at the yeah. match yeah. when Marisol becomes uh uh the, the the next uh corruption member to hold that belt. Um and I just uh yeah uh, I can't wait to be out there. It's going to, you know, I'm excited to just be um, out there, um, you know, during all the hoopla. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, aside from that, um, you see my handle right there. Uh, Twitter and Letterboxd is the place. And here every other Saturday talking about nonsense and none such. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. And nonsense. Yes. <laughs> Specifically nonsense. We also did a podcast recently with with Jacob London and uh, Taylor, right? It was, uh, yep. It was pretty All awesome. About, uh, Mr. David Lynch. Mr. David Lynch. Turns out that I can just go. I can just, you just wind me up and I can just go on David Lynch. And uh, I, it, it was a great conversation. Always love talking to Adam about our, our favorite director. And I think it was really cool to talk to some, to two people who were just getting introduced to that world um, and sort of walk them through. So everyone check that out. Um, and they as were for such good sports. they were such good sports, we were just like so deep in the weeds, and they were like, "Okay." I mean, they, <laughs> they, they, they watched all of it, which is like really impressive. Except and, like, Inland Empire, because they couldn't find it in Australia. It's impossible to find Inland Empire here in the states. Huh? Yeah, it's it's impossible. But uh, guys, you can find me at Video Drew across all social networks. I have a new uh, podcast network of which this episode will be going into audio form. The network is called uh, or the brand is called Content Candy. Like cotton. 
cotton candy, but content, it was Nerd Chronics idea. If you go to uh, anchor.fm backslash video drew, or you search content candy on Spotify or anywhere where you get podcasts, except for Apple, we're still waiting on them. Uh, you can find a bunch of new shows, including one with me and Lon Harris called Garmin Shosia. It's for you, Adam. That, that's a pretty good one. Uh, me and Nerd Chronic have the Nerd Chronic, uh, the Video Chronicles. There's just a bunch of fun stuff coming up. Um, and then, yeah, we do the Video Chronic Pop Culture Quizzes on YouTube on Mondays and Thursdays. I think this Monday we're doing The Fifth Element, I believe, as a quiz. So you guys show up for that. We have Cinema Bias on Tuesday. Alternating Sundays from this show, we do um, Live in the Dark with Video Drew. I believe the next one we're doing is, I don't want to announce it yet, but it's somebody that I played recently. So knock on wood, that's happening, hopefully. Um, and I think that they're going to be in town for that. And it's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be fine, guys. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much again, Marisol, for joining us. This has been a, a delight and a pleasure. Thanks. Okay. Um, thank you from all of us. We will see you all next week. Bye, or no, two weeks. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys.